So I'm pretty well convinced that you can't title a sermon What Happens in Vegas without having Elvis um, playing over the radio. So um, welcome to week two of Road Trip Through Romans. Uh, and the title of this week's sermon, and I don't usually tell you my sermon titles, but the title of this week's sermon is What Happens in Vegas. Uh, now, last week I was over in the traditional service, and um, I challenged them um, over the course of this summer to read through Paul's letter to the church in Rome. Uh, and the reason being is because the, the, the letter is just jam-packed. It is so full of great advice, great theology, great truths of God um, that, that even if I were to sort of go through verse by verse, you wouldn't get all of it and I wouldn't have time to cover all of it. And so what I want to encourage you to do, what I want to challenge you to do is, is starting today, go ahead and begin reading through Paul's letter to the church at Rome. And and Paul's letter to the church at Rome is very different than all of his other letters because his other letters that he's written um, are letters to churches that he's founded, uh, that he's sort of the father figure to. Uh, but the letter to the church at Rome is an invitation. It's, it's an introduction of Paul to this church that's already been established and already seems to have some community life. And so Paul, all throughout this letter, uh, talks about who Jesus is and who he understands Jesus to be and how Jesus' life, death, and resurrection impacts our lives today and what it means to have faith in Jesus Christ. So I hope that you will uh, take time to read through the letter to the Romans. Um, the reason being, starting in chapter 3 like we did last week, the book of Romans is like jumping on a moving freight train, skipping a chapter 6 is just jumping on <laughs> while the train's moving even faster. So I got a question for you this morning. How many of you have ever tried a fad diet? You may ever try a fad diet? All right. Have you, anybody ever tried Atkins? Right? All right. Anybody uh, ever try um, uh, the zero, no sugar diet? Anybody do no sugar diets? Um, there are all kind of diets out there. All you have to do is go to Books a Million and walk down the, uh, the fitness aisle, and you'll notice that one side is sort of about weightlifting or running or jogging or soccer. Um, and, and so there's these little sections of books that are about all these sports and fitness. But on the other side of the aisle is like a mile of books that all have titles about how you can lose weight in six days, and it's going to be quick and easy and painless, uh, and, and it's going to be a great process. Well, you and I both know that if you really want to be successful at, at dieting, if you really want to change uh, the shape of your body, it requires more than just six disciplined days, right? It, it takes a lifestyle change. It takes a life change in order to really change your body. You need to do more than just eat grapefruit for two weeks in order to get the body that you've always wanted. Uh, you're going to have to sweat. You're going to have to eat some different things that maybe you've never eaten before. Try you know, different things besides just grapefruit. Or well, There was this one diet Stephanie saw one time, and all you did was drink cranberry juice. And I don't like cranberry juice that much anyways, but who could drink cranberry juice for all three meals of their day? It just, it was terrible. Who would want to do that to themselves? All to lose, you know, six pounds in six days to turn around and gain it back on the seventh day. You know, fad diets are aimed at giving you quick returns, making a quick change, but they don't last. They don't last. If you've ever been on a fad diet, you know this. Most of us, when we go on a fad diet, uh, as soon as we're done, we start eating like we used to eat, and all the weight comes back, and then some more. That's, that's how fad diets work. What really works, if you want to change your body, 
is lifestyle change. Changing the way that you live your life. That's what has the power to change your body. You know, the same principle is true when it comes to your faith. Faithfulness is not about a short-term change. It's not about a quick change that lasts for six days and then you go back to living the way that you used to live. When we talk about living a life for Christ, being faithful to Christ, we are talking about a lifestyle change. And that's what Paul is talking about. That's what Paul is dealing with in Romans chapter 5 and 6. Now the question that Paul really digs into in Romans chapter 6 is this. He's asking the question, how is it that we're supposed to live now that Christ has set us free? How is it that we're supposed to live now that Christ has set us free? free. How are you and I supposed to live in this world now that Christ has given us freedom? Now I want you to complete this sentence for me. It's in fact the title of our sermon this morning. What happens in Vegas? Okay, y'all said that like you don't know this. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Now I'm going to tell you the truth. That's very good marketing. You know, nobody came up with that term until about 2003, or it was around, but in 2003, Vegas actually adopted that as their slogan, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Uh, that's not the truth, though. Uh, what happens in Vegas will invariably find you. <laughs> if you make bad decisions in Vegas, uh, the results of those bad decisions will catch up with you when you get back to Statesboro, or hope you like it, or Brooklyn, or wherever it is that you might be from, the, the, the consequences of what happens in Vegas are still an issue once you get back from Vegas. Uh, like I said, that phrase came about uh, in 2003 officially by the city of Las Vegas. Now, again, I hope you're not naive, and I hope you don't think that that's the truth. But what I, when I read this morning's scripture text uh, in, in Romans chapter 6, that was the phrase that kept coming to my mind. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. And I, I wonder if you might hear it this morning too, as Paul wrestles with the question of how should we live now that we've been set free in Jesus Christ. Here's Romans chapter 6 verses 1 to 11. I'm reading from the message uh, version. Um, I encourage you to read from whatever version you have, but we're looking at the message just as a different entry point into the scriptures all throughout this summer. So here's Paul in Romans 6, 1 to 11. He says, so what do we do? Do we keep on sinning so that God can keep on forgiving? I should hope not. If we've left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? Or didn't you realize that we packed up and left there for good? That is what happened in our baptism. When we went under the water, we, we left the old country of sin behind we came up out of the water, we entered into the new country of grace, a new life in a new land. That's what baptism into the life of Jesus means. When we are lowered into the water, it is like the burial of Jesus. When we are raised up out of the water, it's like the resurrection of Jesus. Each of us is raised into a light-filled world by our Father so we can see where we're going in our new grace-sovereign country. Could it be any clearer? Our old way of life, our old way of life was nailed to the cross with Christ. A decisive end to that sin, miserable 
life, no longer at sin's every beck and call. What we believe is this. If we get included in Christ's sin-conquering death, we also get included in his life-saving resurrection. We know that when Jesus was raised from the dead, it was a signal of the end of death as the end. Never again will death have the last word. When Jesus died, he took sin down with him. But alive, he brings God down to us. From now on, think of it this way. Sin speaks a dead language that means nothing to you. God speaks your mother tongue, and you hang on every word. You are dead to sin and alive to God. That's what Jesus did. Paul's point here, part of what Paul is getting at here, is that whatever happened in the Vegas of your past life before you knew Jesus Christ needs to stay in the Vegas of your past life. Let me put it another way. What happened in your past needs to stay in your past. A lot of us, when we come to Christ, we come with a lot of baggage. We come with bad habits. We come with bad attitudes. We we come with a tendency to hurt other people. But we need to begin learning how to leave that past stuff in our past. Because if we can't let go of the past, we'll never be able to take hold of the future that God has for us. You can't live in the old country if you want to live in a new country. You can't live in a place where sin reigns if you want to live in a place where God's grace abounds. You can't be in two places at the same time. If you want to live into the future that God has for you, then what happened in your past needs to stay in your past. That doesn't mean that you're not going to deal with consequences from bad decisions that you made at one point or another in your life or that you made uh, last year or last month or maybe even last night. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have to suffer consequences for the decisions you've already made. It just means that you need to begin living like you're no longer there. Because some of us, even after we've received Jesus Christ as our Lord, excuse me, as our Savior, we never let him become the Lord of our life. We never allow him to take us from the place where we are to the place that he desires for us to be. It's easy to claim Jesus Christ as Savior. It's a much harder thing to claim Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life because it means that you're going to have to let go of your past. You're going to have to let go of your past in order order to walk into the future that God has for you and that God has for me. You see, when we accept Christ, we accept a new life in him. The problem is that most of us, we struggle with letting go of our past. In the Old Testament, there's this great story. We're not quite there yet, but that's okay. (laughs) In the Old Testament, there's this great story. Uh, about a, a, a man named Lot. And Lot uh, and Abraham, his, his cousin, um, they go and settle this land, and Lot goes off to live in a place called Sodom, um, and Abraham is left to live out in the pastures 
and everything's going fine uh, when Abraham finds out that God has decided he's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. He's going to destroy these two towns. Well, Abraham, he pleads with God. He pleads with God, begs God. He says, please, if there's anything we can do to spare those cities, can you do it? And, and God finally relents and says, listen, tell Lot, your brother, to get out of there. Or, or tell Lot to get out of that city. Pack up his family and leave. Well, as Lot and his wife are leaving, do you remember this story? This is a great flannel graph. As Lot and his wife are leaving that city that's about to have God's judgment poured out on it, you remember what Lot's wife does? She turns around. She turns around and she looks back and immediately what happens? She's turned into a pillar of salt. Isn't that great? Not a pillar of stone, a pillar of salt. She's turned into a pillar of salt. She's immobilized. Sometimes whenever we're trying to escape from our past life, we have a tendency to turn around and look back. And when that happens, the very same thing begins to happen to us. We begin to become paralyzed and slow down. And ultimately, if we keep looking back, we, just like Lot's wife, will become a frozen pillar of salt. We'll refuse to move anymore because we're afraid of what we'll lose if we give up on the past, if we give up on that old life that we used to live. So the question is, how do you get past your past? How do you live into the future that God has for you? Well, we're going to take a cue from the movie Frozen. Frozen is sort of the soundtrack of my my life right now. Um, anywhere we go, um, Addie has us, she asks, can you put Frozen on the Bluetooth? And I say, we'll put Frozen on the Bluetooth. So here is what you need to know. In order to get past your past, you've got to let it go. Let it go, let it go. Don't let sin hold you back anymore. Let it go, let it go. Turn around and slam the door. I can't sing real well. Listen. Let it go. Let it go. Your past is your past. It's gone. Let it go. If you want a future in Christ, let go of your past. Let go of your sin. It's death to you. Don't let your sin hold you back anymore. Some of us, we are so caught up in our sin and in our junk and in our stuff and in our past. We're, we're so enamored with it that we think it'll be the most painful thing in the world if we let go of it. If we turn and walk the other direction. But living in the freedom that Christ gives us, it begins by letting go. Letting go of our sin in order to accept the forgiveness and the grace that God offers us. You're not just letting go, you're taking hold of something else. You're letting go of your sin to take hold of the grace that God has for you. You're letting go of your past life so you can take hold of the new life that's only found in Jesus Christ. You've got to let go if you want a hope and you want a future. You've got to let go. Because as long as you cling to sin, whatever your sin is, and we all do this, I do this, as long as I'm holding on to that, I'm not going to be able to take hold of God's best for me. And that means that my family is not going to get God's best. That means that you guys in the church, think about that. If I don't let go of my sin, 
I won't be the best for you because I'll have my hands full of my own stuff instead of the grace and hope that God has for me and has for all of us. I've found in my life that the big problem here is the issue of forgiveness. Not only do we have, a, we have trouble letting go of our sin, but we have trouble accepting the forgiveness that God gives us. Sometimes we're quick to throw down our sin and to get away from it, but we're very, very slow in accepting the grace and forgiveness that God gives us freely. Because we believe in, in our minds and, and often in our hearts that we ought to be punished for our sin, that we ought to be punished for what we've done wrong, that we ought to be under some sort of massive weight, crushed for being unfaithful to the God who's given so much for us. But Jesus doesn't want that for you. God doesn't want that for you. He wants you to live in his freedom, not focus on how bad a person you've been, but focus on the new life that you're called to live in Christ. You've got to let go of your past. Leave your past in the past so you can accept God's grace and accept God's forgiveness. Now, here's the other thing that you have to do. You don't just have to let it go. You also have to make a choice not to go back. You also have to choose not to go back. How many of you have ever seen the movie The Hangover? Anybody see? It's okay. We're going to be honest. How many of you have seen The Hangover? If the characters in The Hangover were real, they would have never chosen to go back to Las Vegas. Am I right? They would have never gone back to Las Vegas because terrible things happened in Las Vegas. Terrible things happened to them while, while they were being lone wolves out there on the strip. Terrible things happened. But they forgot in the movie, right? They forget. They would never go back to Vegas. If you and I were in our right minds, when we look back on our lives and the old lives that we lived before we came to Christ, we would never go back to that. We would never go back to those places of hurt and pain, those dark places. But sometimes, but sometimes, we like to look back nostalgically at the people we used to hang out with, the things that we used to do, the ways that we used to live, and we sort of slip back into Vegas. We slip back into town back into old habits, back into old ways of living and talking and acting. But in order to get past your past, you've got to let it go and you have to make a conscious decision not to go back, not to turn around, to continue to accept God's grace, to continue to be perfected in love is what John Wesley would say. He, he would say that it's, it's not just about making a one-time decision to let go of our past. It's also about choosing daily to walk toward perfection that only comes through an ongoing relationship with Jesus Christ. Don't go back. Don't turn around. Don't become a pillar of salt stuck where you are. Instead, continue to walk forward with your eyes set on the prize that we have in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Third thing, the third thing that we have to do 
in order to get past our past, to leave what happened in Vegas back in Vegas. The third thing that we have to do is to lean into God's plan for our lives. We've got to lean into God's plan for our lives. I like saying the word lean in um, because uh, leaning is an act of faith. Have you ever noticed this, that when you lean, it's an act of faith? Have you ever leaned against something that was unstable? What happens? You fall over, right? Um, I take spin class at 180 uh, Fitness right up here on Fair Road. And one of the things I learned very early on was that um, there's this one stretch that we do at the end of class um, where you put your hands on the handlebars of the spin bike, which, I mean, it looks like it weighs 700 pounds. Um, and you, you lean up on it and you kind of stretch your body like this. Well, I, I did that the first time and that bike doesn't weigh 700 pounds. And it just about threw me across the room. I leaned on it, and then it tipped over. Um, leaning is an act of faith. Leaning into God's future is an act of faith. It's an act of trust. It's something that requires more than just simply going through the motions. You've really got to know what you're doing if you're going to lean into God's grace. Faith is ultimately an act of trust. Faith is an act of accepting grace and freedom and then living like one who has received grace and freedom. We need to take the words of Jeremiah 29, 11 to heart. That God hasn't just saved us for no reason, but that God has a plan for us and a purpose for us. That God has a future for us and not just any sort of future, but a future with hope. A future with hope. That's what we need to be leaning into, not on to these things that are going to tip in this life, not into our jobs, not into other places we find security and wholeness. We need to be living into the future that God has for us in order for us to become the people that God desires for us to be. Vegas will always be there. Your past will always be with you. The good decisions you've made in your past, the bad decisions. But you don't have to live there. You can live in the future and the hope that God has for you if you will let it go, if you will refuse to go back, and if you will lean in to the future and the plan that God has for your life. Now, how does that look? It looks like ordinary people, like you and me, not just showing up at church Sunday to Sunday, but offering our whole lives to one another. Offering our gifts to one another. That Christ can be glorified among us. That Christ can be glorified in our community. It looks like ordinary people reaching out to other ordinary people who are stuck in their past so that they can be brought forward in the future that God has for them. We get past our past for a reason and for a purpose, and that is to live into the future and be the people of God. And God has uniquely equipped each and every one of us with a gift that can be used in some way to help bring others from the past they were living in to the future 
that God has for us all. So this morning, as, as the band comes back out onto the stage, um, I want to invite you just to join me in a time of prayer about our past, about our present, and about our future. Would you join me in prayer this morning?